0: Welcome to the next to last lesson of Hebrews. We're in Lesson 9, the 12th chapter of Hebrews. Um, The title of this lesson is Lace Up Your Running Shoes. And I am going to just go ahead and apologize now that you have a teacher who has to talk about a race metaphor throughout this lesson. And I'm not an athlete. So for you women who are athletes, I'm so sorry that you will be going, Oh my goodness, she obviously does not run much. And just even the way I talk about it. But the writer of Hebrews is using this huge idea of race and um, a hard race and one that has spectators and one that has a captain racer in front of us and our Lord Jesus. And so I will try but I'm going ahead and apologizing right now. So let's pray before we tackle Hebrews 12. Lord, you're so good to us, and thank you that you teach us through metaphor and through giving us a picture, even if we aren't runners, that we can better understand what the Christian life is by this lesson. I pray that you would give me wisdom even as I teach. You would give um, us, as women, ears to hear. I know that I'm saying this at one point in time, but they will hear it at another, and you are sovereign even over the timing of this lesson. We ask that your Holy Spirit would build us up as a body of believers, that you would correct us, that you would encourage us, that you would cheer for us, and that you would make our path smooth in our race. In Jesus' name, amen okay let's start reading hebrews 12. we're just going to read the first three verses to start off and then we'll continue reading later so let's start in verse 1 of chapter 12. therefore since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us looking to jesus the founder and perfecter of our faith who for the joy that was set before Him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider Him who endured from sinners such hostility against Himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. So we, hear, we see at the very beginning connected to the last chapter, chapter 11, where we saw that basically hall of fame faith chapter of all these people who have gone before us on this same race. And so we are on a race and we have uh, the crowd cheering us on. That is a good kind of peer pressure Um, Verse 1 says we have a cloud of witnesses but they're not just like if I went to cheer at a race I would be cheering and I can imagine how hot it is and how exhausted the runners are but these spectators are actually past runners so they can really appreciate what is happening on the racetrack and so it's almost like as sweaty athletes that have their cup of Gatorade in their hand and they have finished the race and they've come back along the course and are cheering you on and saying, do it, you can do it, just get there, just gut it through. And so it's almost more encouraging that way, right? Who wants to be cheered along by me with, you know, my little Diet Coke from Sonic? No, you want to be cheered along by like someone who's just completed that course and knows what it feels like. They are going to say just the right thing. So I don't know who that is for you. Maybe it's your your mama. Maybe it's your daddy. Maybe it's a a a biography you've read like of Jim Elliot or maybe you've read someone else um, that just their life story is cheering you on. Maybe it's looking at the thief on the cross who at the very last minute just humbly asked Jesus for salvation. Maybe it's your Sunday school teacher. Maybe it's King David in the Bible. I don't know but all of these people are cheering you on, cheering us on because they have been on this path. But not only they, but Jesus has run this course too. He knows the curves and hills of this cross-country course we're on. And we'll look later at how He inspires us. So how long is this race anyway? Um, Because it says that there is a race that has been set before you. Um, Let's see... Uh, in verse 1 at the very end let us run with endurance the race that is set before us so your course has actually been chosen for you Um, there's a recent blog post um, by uh, Tim Chalice and if I'm really together when this goes out I will try to attach that article to the Friday email where we release this video but basically, Tim Chalice uh, lost his 20-year-old son, just, he, his son just dropped dead, I think playing like a game, um, maybe while he was at college or something. And so he died suddenly. And Tim, uh, obviously as a grieving father, has been writing so many great blog posts about uh, this experience. And so the most recent one, he asked, how long is the DASH? And what he means is on tombstones, um, where it says, you know, Susan, born in 1968, dash, you know, if I died today, 2021, how long is the dash? And if you ever have walked in a cemetery, cemeteries are actually (laughs) really uh, cool in a way because you see so many stories represented just by the tombstone. So you could have an infant that died and her dash was maybe a few hours or a few months. You have maybe uh, a woman nearby whose dash was 98 years. For Tim Chalice's son, his dash was 20 years. And what is held in that dash? And we all have a dash um, of what sums up our life and our time here on earth. And that path, that dash is given to you. And during that dash, perseverance or endurance is the key, the writer is saying. In a way, this is really encouraging for me, not only as a, I wish I were an athlete if I ever do run a race, and if I do, you know something has happened in my life if I sign up for a 5K, um, which all the cool people do, and I'm just not that cool yet. But if I'm ever that cool and you see me, you definitely will need to cheer me on. But if I do that, I will finish ugly. It will not be pretty. I don't run cool. I... Might get really red faced. I might want to cry. I may want to like just walk across the finish line. You know, the way you run is not important in a race, right? Really, what's important is that you finish the race. And I've been in a running situation where I did not finish. So I know this firsthand. It almost doesn't matter how fast or if you're first, it's just you finish. And the writer of Hebrews is saying, look, It's not about how pretty is finish ugly just finish endure just get across the finish line because the prize is a sure bet for you and to be able to endure you have to do three things first of all you just have to strip and when I say that I mean get rid of anything that is weighing you down and making it harder if you run I mean there's a whole industry of clothing that is lightweight okay but if I'm running a race, I'm, I, may, I may, you know, tuck a little water on my arm or something, but I'm not, I'm not wearing my cute coat I got over the winter break. I'm not, I'm not wearing a lot of jewelry. If I run, I'm not carrying, you know, oh, I, the kitchen sink might come in handy. I mean, you're running light. It is not meant to bring a caravan of stuff with you. And the writer is saying, look, in verse 1, let us lay aside every weight, strip down. You know, if your boat is sinking, what do you do first? Get rid of the non-essentials. So what are the sins and even the not things that aren't sin, that just aren't productive? that are weighing us down and making it harder for us to run this race. And, you know, in Matthew 5 it says, If you have a hand that is causing you to sin, cut it off. If your eye is causing you to sin, pluck it out. You get this imagery of you have got to survive, endure, and finish. So if it is causing you to stumble, get rid of it. Now, I don't know what that is for you. That can look like several things. Maybe there are certain bars you don't need to go to. Maybe there's a guy at the gym that is flirting with you. You need to switch gym memberships. Um, Maybe maybe it's a certain TV show or a movie series. What is it that you need to clean out? Because it is tripping you up. It is weighing you down. You know, when I saw my dad die at the very end, I saw how this made so much more sense. Um, Because I saw at the very end, all the things that he maybe had wanted to accumulate and didn't, that was a really wise decision because none of that was going with him. And to have the peace and at the very end to go, I ran a race, even though he wasn't saying that at all, I could see it. I could see that at the end of his race, he had chosen wisely the things to keep in his life and the things to let go of. Think about your last day of your dash and go, what is it you want to have with you as you go? And end the dash on your tombstone. So strip down, lay aside every weight that slows you down. But then in verse 12 later, we'll see that he says, lift your drooping hands and strengthen your weak knees. He says, strengthen, build up, buff up. So not only do we take off, but we take on in the sense of we lift weights. We make our our running body strong for the race. We make paths straight so you avoid injury. So how do you do that? Well, you're doing it right now and that you're participating in a Bible study where you're hearing this. You're getting encouragement. You're seeing other women in the room with you. You're hearing how they struggle, what their prayer requests are. You are seeing that we are all on this track and we are trying to go forward and we need each other and we need the truth and we need to be reminded of what's true. Those proactive things that make your body, your spiritual body stronger for the race, like knowing God's word, prayer, participating in the sacraments. Like last Sunday, sometimes you just need to grab that juice and that terrible tasting wafer, the COVID wafer, and you just go, this is strengthening my heart. I may not understand the mystery of this, but it is making my heart stronger for the race I have this week. So it's Also hanging out with other athletes that share your habits. You're choosing to be more with the women who don't gossip than the women who do. You are choosing the jobs that put you in the way, that a path that is easier for you to find yourself in worship, that you have time to meditate on God. And it's not, you're literally choosing things that are important, like your job where you live, on the practical things, your schedule, you're rearranging a calendar so that you can put yourself in the best place to finish this race. And the final thing, so after strip, strengthen, the other S word is see Jesus. In verse 3, he, the writer says, Consider him who endured. So Jesus also had to endure the race that was set before him. And it was not easy. He, he, he cried on his race. He uh, was like, do I really have to go this distance at the end of my race? That's really hard to cross. Is there another path? And he was told no. And he endured to the end because he knew what he was getting at the other side of the end of the race. Um, So our eyes are on Jesus, even more so than the spectators. You know, it's almost like, I imagine, if we're running a race and you see someone just in front of you and you almost have to go, I'm focusing on his number in front of me and as long as he's running, I'm following him. And It's almost like you have someone you're fixing your eyes on to focus you Forward instead of looking at, like, I want to go there, I want to quit, there's a chair, or I just hate it. You think about yourself and the pain you're in on a race. You're like, no, I'm going to focus. And as long as that guy in front of me is running, I'm behind him. And you have a focal point. Jesus is our focal point. He's called the author and finisher of our faith. So we have a team captain on our cross country team who knows the terrain and has run it, and is saying, fix your eyes on me. I will get you through this. And so the writer of Hebrews is saying, remember Jesus' race. Remember how he ran it. Remember how he hurt in it. Consider Jesus, and then consider what he got because of it. Um, This is, if there's one metaphor worse for me than athletic running, it's, accounting. and, But there's this cost-benefit analysis, if that's how you say that, of the pain is worth the gain on this race. And we see Jesus so perfectly showing us that because we know that he suffered greatly, but his reward was greater than what he suffered, as bad as that was. And he gives us some other metaphors for the same thing. And thankfully for me, who has had five childbirths, one of them is about childbirth. So that one I can definitely speak from. And that is in John 16, 21. Jesus is telling his disciples, he's told them, I'm leaving. And they're like, what? You're leaving? Like, ah. And they're sad. And Jesus says, you will be sorrowful. But your sorrow will turn into joy. When a woman is giving birth, she has sorrow because her hour has come. But when she has delivered the baby, she no longer remembers the anguish for joy that a human being has been born into the world. So also you have sorrow now, but I will see you again, and your hearts will rejoice, and no one will take your joy from you. And then also... In 2 Corinthians 4, 17, Paul says, For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. Paul's saying, look, you're putting in a penny and going to get out a room of gold. Like it's not even, you can't even compare the cost. That's how great the prize is on the other side of this race and, you know, for any of you who have had a baby, you do not go, oh, I can't wait to go through labor. I just can't wait. It's the most delightful day, way to spend the day. No. Remember when I hear of people in labor, I just pray, Lord, let it be quick. It so hurts. <laughs> but like they say, would you say, yeah, the baby's just not worth it. I'll, I'll take a pass. I, I won't do that. Even when you know the pain, even when you knowingly say, I want to have another baby and I've been through childbirth, that's what's really crazy. I understand a bunch of firstborn kids, but when a woman has two and three or five or more, I mean, what's wrong with them? Because the pain, the pain, it's because the baby is so much better than the pain. It's so much it. It really, like even now I would cringe if someone said I had to go through labor, but I would do it in a heartbeat. Because I know what it means to have that baby, I know what it means. Because a human being is worth it. Um, and then, just like Paul said in Second Corinthians, it's just—it's the cost analysis, ben, the cost benefit analysis—is just a no brainer. The race is so hard. Yes, you will suffer. Yes, you will throw up. You will not be able to get out of bed sometimes. You will be mortified at your sin. You will, you will go, why did I sign up to teach Bible study? Because this is so miserably hard to do. You will go, what possessed me, to walk through a hard path with my friend because you know, she's you know, dealing with an eating disorder and she needs a friend, or my, my other friend has lost a business and, and, and they need someone and none of their friends are with them. Like This is not fun stuff. But it is worth it. The race is so worth what joy you have on the other side. In uh, Matthew 14, we have a really sweet picture of when the race is so hard and we're scared and it's overwhelming. Uh, If you look at chapter 14, 27 to 31... You see Peter uh, in a boat. Um, in the the context is John the Baptist has been beheaded. Um, they fed about five thousand people. Like this is like the days before or day before. I can't. I don't know exactly in the Bible like how long a stretch of period it is. But in context, a lot of things have happened. So Jesus sends his disciples on a boat, and then Jesus like like let's get away from the crowds. Y'all get on the boat and go. And Jesus goes up to the hills to pray. And then he goes to meet them in the boat and walks on water to get there. And, of course, they're freaking out because, you know, you don't see that every day. And then once he says, it's I, I'm coming towards you, Peter goes, oh, I'm coming. And in typical Peter form, he jumps in the water. He starts walking on water toward Jesus. But then instead of looking at Jesus, he starts looking at all the waves. He starts looking at the scary water, the scary water. For us, the scary race, the the, the things in our way, the, the things in our lives that are should be scary. I would say walking on water with big waves, you should not feel bad for being scared. But what is the next thing that happens when he's scared and starts sinking? Does Jesus give him a pep talk? Does Jesus say, hey, 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 have faith? No, immediately his hand is on Peter. Let's read that. Then Peter got down out of the boat and walked on the water and came toward Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid and beginning to sink, cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You have little faith, he said, why did you doubt? It's not that you, if you find yourself struggling on this race. Remember, all you have to do is cry out, Say, Jesus saved me, and his hand is there. He, his first reaction to, to us crying out is touch, is let me grab you. And then he says, why did you doubt? I'm right here. So let that encourage you because this race is hard. It is not a picnic, okay? But then he moves, let's start reading in chapter, I mean, verse 4. 4-11. Um, through 11. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord. Do not be weary when reproved by Him. For the Lord disciplines the one He loves and chastises every son whom He receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For the the moment all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Therefore lift your drooping hands and strengthen your weak knees and make straight paths for your feet so that what is lame may not be put out of joint but rather be healed. Strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God But you have come to Mount Zion, and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to innumerable angels in festal gathering, and to the assembly of the firstborn who are enthroned in heaven, and to God the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, and to Jesus the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks better than the blood of Abel. See to it that you do not refuse him who is speaking. For if they did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, much less will we escape if we reject him who warns from heaven. At that time his voice shook the earth, but now he has promised, Yet once more I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. This phrase, yet once more, indicates the removal of things that are shaken, that is, things that have been made, in order that the things that cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And thus let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe for our God is a consuming fire. Okay, I read past chapter 11, I mean verse 11 like I wanted to stop, but we'll get to the rest of that chapter in our next point. But for now I want us to focus on 4 through 11 because just when you hear how tough the race is and the terrain is tough and it's scary and there, there are ups and downs and, valleys of shadows of death on our racetrack, then I hear the word that's even more why I'm not an athlete, and that's called discipline or workouts or weight training, all the things that go with success. And, you know, he totally, he totally puts in context of this is not punishment. This is discipline. And there's a difference because, you know, punishment means you have uh, you have done something wrong, so you get what you deserve. That's not what we're talking about, but we have such a negative view of discipline. Discipline is the goal is to be stronger and for success. And he shows us how, look, even earthly parents do this. You don't want your child to get killed in the street, so what do you do when he runs out in the street? You discipline them. If you are a really good athlete, your coach is going to discipline you and give you a regimen of maybe protein shakes, maybe uh, weights on Monday, Wednesday, Friday, and on Tuesday, Thursday, cardio. I mean, he's going to give you a program. He's going to discipline you. No one finishes a race strong being just no training, okay? So he talks about discipline. Um, now, this is the thing about discipline that's no fun. And he says, it's no fun. It hurts. It's painful. And I'm reminded of uh, a lot of times just, just the sweat. And But I will say, once I've ever done something where I finished a workout, where I finished an exercise class or finished something like that, the endomorphins are awesome. Okay? So let's just remember that. But... There are like three kinds of training or discipline I just want to bring up. And um, they they all may look the same, but have different purposes. And it just depends on what you as the athlete need. Okay? So there are three kinds I want to talk about. One is educational discipline. One is preventative discipline. And one is corrective. And so real quickly, I'm going to run through these. The educational one that is a great example is Job. Um, If you look in Job 42 around 1 through 5, after Job has suffered and has been going, why, 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 and he never knew. He never knew that the devil had gone to heaven and said, what about Job? He never knew that God was showing off. As a matter of fact, the reason Job went through all this pain was he was such a wonderful Christian uh, or believer whatever they called him back in the olden days. And Job, after he sees God's glory, he responds with, I know that you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. Who is this that hides counsel without knowledge? Therefore, I have uttered what I did not understand. His discipline produced in him knowledge. God is bigger than I am. God is the boss. And he came out of that experience better, as great as Job was he was a better athlete after that discipline um second way is preventative we look at paul in second corinthians paul was given a thorn in the flesh and he writes in second corinthians 12 7 through 10 so to keep me from being conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations a thorn was given me in the flesh a messenger of Satan to harness me to keep me from becoming conceited. His was preventative. His discipline was, you are seeing so many wonderful things from God that if you don't have something that bothers you, you're gonna you're gonna have a big head. You're gonna be so conceited that I can't use you on this race. So his discipline, even though Paul begged him three times, take it away, God had a purpose for that discipline, and it was preventative. Um Thirdly, corrective. Uh, David, after sinning with Bathsheba, killing Uriah the Hittite, has a discipline that just breaks our hearts and that he had family problems. There were consequences to his sins. His baby died because of the shame David had put on God's name. And in Psalm 1, 1967, David writes, before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now I keep your word. Sometimes the discipline burns us in a way that we go, I'm never touching that stove again. And it, we are, the consequences are so bad for us, not punishment, but consequences, that it has trained us to not go there again. What are the results of this kind of discipline? Well, 1 Peter 5.10 says that we will be perfected, strengthened, established, and settled. Um, James 1.2 says that trials produce patience. Romans 5.3 says tribulations produce perseverance. Perseverance produces character. Character produces hope, and hope does not disappoint you. And in 2 Corinthians 12.10, we see at that end of that, bit from Paul about his thorn that you know Christ strengthen you because you are so weak you can feel something outside of your limitations a strength that is outside of your possibility and that is crazy endorphin um, so we have a greater intimacy with God we're in better shape to endure and run And we have the peaceable fruit of righteousness that not only are we going to get this prize one day after we die, just like Jesus had to die to get his prize, we're going to still taste, we're going to still smell and have hints of this prize now. So trust your coach. Trust Jesus. Trust God who tailor makes the the hard path you're on to produce all the good that discipline can. He knows what you have to work on. Are you proud? He knows exactly how to get in there and get that splinter out. And when you get a splinter out, it throbs. I'm going through a few days of God getting a splinter out, and I have been in pain. I hate it. And I and part of it is I hate that I have to work on something. What's that? So God perfectly is the only coach that can totally isolate a problem and say today, Susan, I'm going to love you by disciplining you and getting this out. Whatever that is for you, know that it is He never wastes a tear. He never wastes discipline. He, it has the purpose. It completes the purpose. He knows your weak spot and it totally assigns the exercise for that. You know... He loves you too. Um, The Manchester Academy coaches didn't spend a lot of time on giving me discipline. I was not a star athlete. I was, remember, if you remember from a few talks ago, I was in the uniform that were the leftover uniforms that didn't match the basketball team. Um, They didn't spend a lot of time on my training. They shouldn't have. I was like more into the arts and singing and all that, okay? Remember, God trains His star athletes, and we are all star athletes. He cares about us. So when you get the attention from the master coach, remember you are a son. I did not discipline my friend's kids that much. I didn't care. They said a cuss word on the playground as much as I could. But my kid did. I had not only the responsibility, but I cared. I cared enough to get in the mess with them because they were my kids. God gets in the mess with us because we're His kids. So to wrap this up, remember that this kind of race is not an individual race. It is a team sport. It's more like cross-country than I'm just doing my own race. So at the end of the chapter, uh, we saw that we're not the only people on the race, that we have a responsibility responsibility to our teammates. So real quickly, look at uh, verse 15. You may have to do some meddling with your teammates. This is a, the, you may have to encourage someone else's feebleness. You may have to rebuke someone's bitterness. Um, I've had people do that with me. Um, when I had little kids and my husband was working all the time, I was mad at him. And I remember crying to my preacher's wife, Sally, who I just knew was going to just go, Yeah, you should have a conversation with him. And instead, she said, you need to confess your anger. And I was like, what? (laughs) That was not the answer I thought. But honestly, that was God pulling out a root of bitterness so that I could forgive my husband and I could talk to him about it. Loving and praying for each other's weak and feeble knees, realizing that when another runner comes to you about your running style, that she is wanting to help you finish your race well and that you all share a finish line that has an eternal home address of 123 Zion Boulevard, not the old Sinai, not old Sinai, where it's scary and there's judgment. Those runners are going the opposite way on the path. We're running toward Zion, where we are welcomed. We are like part of the family. We are going to hear, well done, good and faithful servant. And the king and captain of our team is there. So next week we're going to see, based on all of this, based on receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, based on having a, a author and finisher of our faith, based on all of Hebrews just lifting up Jesus and this kind of salvation, we are going to see next week, what do you do as a citizen of this Zion? What is... The, what does this produce because you would be given citizenship in this wonderful place called Zion? Let's pray. Lord, you're so good to us in that we are on a race, but we're not alone. And our race produces a prize that makes all the suffering pale. We ask for encouragement where each woman is on her race today. In your son's name, amen.